You can have a seat. Let's pray together. God, we pray today that your word would challenge us as it always does, that it would shape us, that it would teach us, that it would make us into the people that you want us to be. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we began a new series of lessons that I'm calling House Keys, and we're thinking about some keys to healthy family relationships. And our family relationships are often among those that are the most important, or they are the most important relationships in our lives. We spend a lot of time with family. We're connected to them throughout our lives. They know a lot about us. We know a lot about them, which can at times make those relationships a bit of a challenge. And so we have to work at developing healthy family relationships. Now, the first key we talked about last week was respect and how important respect is between any family members and how that can lead us to healthier relationships. This week, I want us to talk about the second key in this series, and it's teaching. Now, I say that's not one that I would expect. I wouldn't anticipate that teaching was really a key to healthy families, and yet I think that's exactly what Scripture teaches us. So I want us to think about that a bit this morning. Now, When it comes to teaching in our families, a lot of people, when they're thinking about becoming parents or are new parents, you know that teaching is going to be part of it. And you look forward to maybe teaching your child to swim or ride a bike. It's going to be exciting and fun. And you think about the things you'll pass on to them that you know, and maybe gathering around the dining room table to do some homework. And we imagine it a little bit like this picture. That's what it looks like, right? And then when it happens... It's a little bit more like this that I ran across on Instagram a few weeks ago. (laughs) Maybe that's happened to you as a child or a parent. That has happened in our house, okay? That, That exact scene has been witnessed. And so sometimes teaching is a little more of a challenge than we might imagine. And, you know, sometimes we... We just don't know what the right words are, right? I mean, we don't know exactly how to explain something. I can remember, you can move on from that picture if you want. We don't have to watch that. Okay. So when I was a kid, I called my grandfather Papu, which for reasons that are faded back in the midst of history, it was a little unfortunate because some other kids in our extended family called him Uncle Pooh, which doesn't sound all that great. But anyway, I called him Papu, and, and he was... He was just a country boy, right? I mean, he grew up on a farm, worked in a grocery store his whole life. But in retirement, he became sort of an artist and he painted. And and throughout my childhood, he could just draw. Like he could, if we were in church, what he would probably be doing about now during a sermon is drawing something on a Connect card for me, okay? Rather than listening. So I would always watch that and I was like in awe of how he could just draw something. And I can remember being at his house, my grandparents' house one day, looking out the window and looked down on these trees. And, and I think he was drawing a, a, a bird that was in one of those trees. And I was like, Papu, can you, can you teach me how to draw a bird? And he said, well, you just, you just draw it like it is. Well, that was real helpful, you know, and I still don't know how to draw a bird, right? <laughs> we don't always know how to pass on what we know how to do. But I tell you what I do remember. I remember going to the store with my parents and picking out my first baseball glove. It was a little two-tone synthetic leather leather model that took home. I had this yellow rubber baseball that dad then went out in the yard and we played catch. And I learned how to hit a ball. And that was the first of many, many times 
that my dad took us out in the backyard and we played. And I became a huge athletic disappointment to him, but he kept trying, right? <laughs> and, I, and I remember that. I remember that. And my guess is you remember some stuff like that too. And, and for me, what it teaches us is this. Teaching is a gift. Now, when I say that, what we probably think is, what I mean by that is that there are certain people who are gifted to teach. Like, we know people who were born to teach. I mean, it is their gift to be able to pass something along to other people. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying today is that when someone takes the time to teach us something that matters to them, or maybe, maybe even more important, it matters to us, that's a gift from them to us. And there are people certainly who are born to teach, and for them teaching, like it's their giftedness. But for all of us, when someone takes the time to teach us something, that is a gift from them to us. But I think there are some things that, some forces at work, usually within us, that keep us from teaching other people what we know. And it's all about our self-talk. It's all about what we say to ourselves that then keeps us from teaching other people. We say things like, we don't have anything of value to teach, right? Like, I'm just a regular person. I don't have any special skills, any special knowledge. I don't really have anything that anybody else needs to know. So this doesn't really apply to me. I don't think I'm really one to teach. Or maybe we would say we don't know how to teach. Like we said, there are certain people gifted. They know how to do it not one of those people. So why don't we leave that to the people in the room who have been trained to do that, do that professionally, maybe did that for many years before they retired. Those people can teach, not me. Or we might say we're not in a position to teach. If you look in my life and see the kind of person I've been and the mistakes I've made, you wouldn't really want me to be the teacher. Okay, I've just made too many bad choices to teach. Or we might say we don't want to appear to be know-it-alls, right? I don't want to constantly be saying something that will make it appear like I'm trying to impress people with my knowledge, that I know how to do stuff that no one else knows how to do. So I, just, I won't do that because I don't want to be that person who has to be the smartest person in the room. So I'm not going to be the teacher. So all those things keep us, and probably a longer list of things you could come up with, keep us from passing what we know on to other people. I want us to allow Scripture to challenge that thinking today. And to do that, I want us to turn to two passages that we find in the Old Testament. First one's in Deuteronomy 6. This was a formative passage for the ancient people of Israel. This is a passage that people who were really observant would quote at least once a day, maybe several times a day. In fact, that's still true, okay? It was a passage that in part is quoted by Jesus. It would have been part of the life of the early church because as Jews, they would have continued to quote this. This formed who they were in their minds. And so it was hugely important. And it speaks to how we pass things on to other people. So it begins with this. It's called the Shema because the first word is the Hebrew word Shema or hear in English. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, and that is the proper name for God, the Lord there, so it's Yahweh. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Love the Lord. Love Yahweh with all, with all your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, even though this is a formative passage, in some ways it's a little difficult to translate. Because the words really literally are, 
Yahweh our God, Yahweh one. Say, okay, where's the verbs, right? Well, there aren't any there because in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for is. And so we have to insert where we think it fits. And usually it's pretty obvious. In this verse, it's not. So if you've got an NIV Bible like me, and a lot of the translations do this, they'll list one translation here. And then in the footnote, there are several other ways that this verse could be translated because it's just not exactly clear. And so it might be something like the Lord our God is one Lord. But the key here is that what the verse is saying is, is God is singular. There is one God. And that God deserves to be worshipped alone. Not like all the other gods, but singularly this one God deserves our worship. Okay? That's what we're talking about. This one God. And then it calls us to love God. Now, the language there, love the Lord your God, that sounds like emotion, doesn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Love the Lord your God with all your heart sounds like an emotional reaction to God. It really wasn't. The language there is the language of a covenant or a treaty between a superior power and an inferior one, between God and us. And the way that treaty worked was, you love this God, you love this superior authority by serving and worshiping. So when we say we love the Lord our God, that means we serve Him, worship Him, obey Him. And when it says love the Lord your God with all your heart, that word heart was more than just an organ that pumped blood for ancient, uh, ancient Hebrews. It was, it was the seat of both thought and emotion, both. So it's more than just feeling, it's all the stuff that's going on in your mind. And the second word there, soul, is it's more than some disembodied part of our existence. It's the, the force of life within us. So what we're talking about is total person. Everything you are. What you think, what you feel, what you do. With all your might, with all your strength. So everything about you is about loving, serving, worshiping, obeying God. Now you see when that's a formative passage. Verse 6. These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hearts, your minds, your feeling, okay? And he's talking about ten commandments. Lots of commands that Moses is giving the people of Israel. You're going to be called to obey them. And then he turns to teaching. All this in mind, this God that we serve and worship, what about teaching? Verse 7. Impress them, the commands, on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We have a responsibility to pass this on. And it's pretty clear that like, this is not just teachers passing knowledge along to their students in a classroom because there's no teacher's college in the ancient world. Okay, for, the, for the people who came out of Israel, there's no classrooms. There's not even synagogue at this point. I mean, what we're talking about is the community taking responsibility for the children in that community. I mean, in the series, we're thinking about family in a broad sense of, yes, parents and kids, spouses, but also grandparents, grandchildren, uncles, aunts, nieces, nephews, the, the extended family and 
Part of what this kind of passage says is that we have a responsibility as a family to these children. Yes, some of them are mine. Some of them are my sisters, brothers, aunts, but they're ours. And we have a responsibility to teach them. And we notice that it's not just a certain class of people, a certain people like these are the, these are the teachers, this is everyone else. He's talking to the whole community here. We all have a responsibility to teach. When? When you lie down, when you get up, when you walk along the road, basically, whatever's happening, make it an opportunity to teach. They would have had a lot of time on the road because they only got around by walking. And remember, they all live in, basically, families live in one room, maybe two. So when you lie down, it's like being at camp. Everybody's still talking. Teach. When you get up, teach. When you're at home, when you're working, take these opportunities to pass along what our kids need to hear. Make every effort to teach them. They made some of this legalistic. This tying to foreheads and, and, and on their wrists. And I don't think that's the point. I think the point is to get scripture in front of our children. When they leave, when they come home, it's just part of life. And then the other passage that's also pretty familiar, one that I think parents depend on, it's over in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, even this passage is a little difficult to translate or at least interpret because it could be applied in a few different ways. Remember, as we approach the Proverbs, they are more premises than promises. In other words, it's more, this is how life generally works, not this is the way it will work every single time. And so when we read the Proverbs, we have to keep in mind that's the approach we need to take. So when it says train, the children, train children off in the way they should go, they won't turn from it. Well, guess what? Your kids have free will and you can't control them. I can't control mine, right? It doesn't work that way. We have influence but not control, especially as they get a little bit older. So there are exceptions to this. That's not really the point. The point is, this is the way it works. If you want to prepare them for the right thing, train them up in the way they should go. It goes back to that whole thing, direction determines destination. If you're headed in the right direction, you'll get to the right destination. Point them in the right direction. But the beginning of that, train a child up in the way he or she should go, well, there's a little question about exactly what that means. It could be translated something like train children up in the way children learn. In other words, as we would say, age appropriate. Teach kids like kids. Don't treat them like little adults. Teach them in a way they can understand. It can also mean something like train each child up in the way that he or she should go. In other words, our kids aren't all the same, are they? They're, they're headed in a different direction. They, they may have a different role to fill in the culture, in the society. Equip them to fill the role that they need to fill. Don't treat them all the same. But the point is, get them headed in the right direction. And as we look at all these, what we see again is it's not one special class of people. And it's not in one place. And it's really more than just learning biblical truths. It's about teaching life. 
So teach children the way they should go. I think the lesson for us is this. You have something to teach, and someone needs to learn it. You, in particular, have something to teach, and someone around you that needs to learn it. Think about your family. Maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. Maybe it's other people. Maybe it's people who are not exactly kids anymore, but they're coming behind you, and you have something to share. And then all those objections that we came back, talked about earlier, they come back to us. And we say, well, I'm not the teacher in the family. I, I, I'm married to a teacher, or my son is a teacher, my, my mom is a teacher. They're really better teachers than me. So, well, you know what? You may be positioned better to speak to certain people in your family than anybody else. And even though you may not be a natural teacher or a trained teacher, you can have a conversation. And you can talk to someone about the things that are challenging their faith, the things that they're questioning, the things that they want to know, and you might not have all the answers, and that's okay. Because you can say, I don't know, but you know what? We can find out. We can study this together. We can talk to someone else together. We can find the answers to these questions, but you may be the person they need to talk to. And yeah, you may not have specific Bible training. You may not have been to Bible college or you may not be an elder or a Sunday school teacher in the church and that's okay. In fact, that's awesome. You still have that same responsibility in your family. And yeah, you may have made some bad choices along the way. But we can learn from failure as well as success. And you may be able to say to people in your family, listen, this is the mistake that I made. This is what it cost me. Don't make the same mistake. You see, again, you may be uniquely positioned to teach that lesson when no one else can. Every single one of us has this same responsibility. We all have it. We know something that other people need to know. We're positioned in a place to teach people that maybe other people are not. It goes back to what I said early. Teaching is a gift. And yeah, there are people gifted to teach, but that's not our point. When you take the time to pass something on to people coming behind you, you are giving them a gift. And I think virtually every single one of us can think of people in our lives, maybe people we learn from in a classroom, but maybe they were grandparents or parents or people who stood in for parents or aunts or uncles that spent time with us. And man, they just built into us. And it was a gift. Pass that gift along. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the teachers in our lives, people who are willing to spend time to pass something along to us. It's a blessing. It's a gift. And God, help us to be brave enough, to be strong enough, to be bold enough to pass things on to those who come behind us. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.